Father, we thank you for, uh, for this time, just for us to be together, Lord, uh, to enjoy your presence, to enjoy one another's presence, Father, and also just to learn, um, learn skills, receive insight, revelation. Uh, God, we, we, we acknowledge our weakness, Lord. Uh, we acknowledge um, our, our lack. We acknowledge our limitations, and Father, we acknowledge your greatness, your goodness, your power. Um, everything that we lack, uh, you make up for in abundance, Lord. And we thank you that we can find rest in you. Um, but Father, there is also uh, that encouragement that we would uh, strive uh, on and, and power on towards the goal, Lord, of that upward call in Christ, that we would be good stewards of what you have given us, Lord, that we would be ones that would... Uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. There is a partnering with your presence uh, that you invite us into, Lord. And so we don't want to despise knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Uh, they are gifts from you. Um, but Lord, we don't want to, in that pursuit, uh, disregard your power and your presence, Lord. Because without you, we are nothing and we can do nothing of significance, Lord. So we just thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. Uh, we do ask for that spirit of revelation, Lord, uh, to en enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, renew our minds, transform our hearts tonight. We trust you, Holy Spirit, in that process. We pray for, for those in the discipleship stream as well, Lord, just for uh, awesome encounters with you, uh, revelation and insight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, here we are, week two of module three. Uh, this module is all about being emotionally healthy leaders, and, uh, and tonight's topic is on emotional intelligence. Mm. Has anyone ever heard of the, the, the phrase emotional intelligence? Yeah? So uh, it can be referenced as your EQ. Um, so we have our intellectual uh, intelligence, or they call IQ, so that's probably the one we're most uh, um, familiar with. That's the word, simple word, sometimes flies out your brain. Uh, and the, the Q part of it stands for quotient. Uh, so it's kind of, I guess that means like the level, so your level of intelligence. So again, when we speak of emotional intelligence, uh, we're not saying um, you either are emotionally intelligent or you are not, but there will be that kind of sliding scale of how emotionally intelligent uh, someone is. Uh, and obviously looking at what does that mean to be emotionally intelligent, but then how does that play out in our life as kingdom ambassadors, in our life as leaders of those leading others, or even following uh, a leader, whether it's in a workplace or any sort of environment. So, so leaders, it's important that leaders are not just book smart, but are also people smart. Leaders have to know how to be vulnerable and empathetic and to connect with the people around them, and to build real relationships. Now, obviously, in leadership cultures, you can learn, even as I spoke about last week, you can learn kind of skills and strategies and um, kind of axioms and different ways of being able to kind of control and manipulate people. Uh, and you, you could have a really inauthentic leadership style and a really inauthentic leadership environment. And I'm sure those exist uh, around the place. Uh, I don't know if that's the place where people thrive the most and most come alive, um, but you can get the job done using lots of different strategies. Uh, you can use fear, intimidation, guilt. Uh, there are many, many ways to get people to do things, uh, and, and I'm sure they've been utilized in the business sphere as well as the church sphere, unfortunately. Um, but what we want as we lead, we want to we lead authentically, as, as God's people, um, and we also want the impact of our leadership to have a, an authentic impact on others as well. So uh, it's, it's really important that we are learning who we are, but also learning how to engage with other people, and, and that comes through our emotional intelligence. So there was a guy, a psychologist named Daniel Goleman. He was one of the first people to propose that emotional intelligence actually matters more than your IQ. So your EQ is actually more important than your IQ. So again, there can be people who will have a great impact because of their emotional intelligence, even though they might not be the most intellectually smart people. Um, so you can lead and not be the smartest person in the room, intellectually. Um, but And you'll do so if you're the most smart person in the room in terms of your emotions. 
most emotional intelligence. So in his book, Emotional Intelligence, he actually breaks down emotional intelligence into five components. And I'm just going to list these off for you. I think there's a really, really helpful title. So the first two are self-awareness. The name of the book Uh, is Daniel Goleman, G-O-L-E-M-A-N. So self-awareness, number one, self-awareness. This is the ability to recognize and understand that your moods and emotions, sorry, understand your moods and emotions and how they affect others. So having an understanding of your mood, your emotions, having that kind of self-reflective, self-aware reality that sometimes you can be in a bad mood. It's okay to be in a bad mood, but you're aware that you're in a bad mood and you own that you're in a bad mood. And you can even delve into the reason why you're in a bad mood uh, and know the kind of emotions that come out when you're in a bad mood. And you can then self-manage your own mood uh, rather than blaming other people for you being in a bad mood. Yeah, Anyone ever been in that scenario where it's, yeah, either you have a bad mood or you're around someone who's in a bad mood and everything, it's all your fault uh, because they're actually not, I'm not in a bad mood. How dare you say that I'm in a bad mood? Sorry, Um, I'm just, yeah. (sighs) I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sharing any personal anecdotes. I'm just saying it's a hypothetical (laughs) that sometimes you can be in those environments and I'm sure I'm that person too. Um, So really important with self-awareness, we're not talking about self-absorption. We're not, we're not kind of becoming these super hyper introverted or sorry, introspective people and I'm so aware of all of my emotions and then we actually fail to consider other people's emotions. That would be a lower emotional intelligence rather than a higher one. So it's not about self-absorption. It's really about understanding what are my emotions and how do they impact others. So again, you can have people sometimes who are very self-aware of their own emotional state, but they're not necessarily aware of how that actually impacts others. They're not other-centered in their emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. Feel free at any time to raise your hand and ask a question on any of these points. Uh, Number two is self-regulation. So this involves being able to control your impulses and moods and to think before acting. Who needs that? Good. We've all got places to grow here. Um, So this is something, this kind of impulsive behavior, being very reactive in scenarios, something happens and you have a kind of reaction to that and it's it's not necessarily something where, where people control it. It's like they have an outburst and then maybe afterwards they recognize and they see the mistake or they see the impact and they can apologize. But right in that moment, it's just this kind of impulsive burst. And so uh, growing in emotional intelligence is growing in that ability to regulate your own emotional state and how that comes out. Again, it's not about squashing emotions. That would be unhealthy. It's about acknowledging I'm feeling a particular way right now. It doesn't have to come out in this scenario. It doesn't have to come out in this particular way. I can be angry about something, but I can still be calm. I can be honorable. I can be respectable, and I can communicate peacefully and calmly. That would be a reflection. So I'm not then saying, I'm just going to deny all of my emotions. And that can be a way that we might, uh, in an immature way, regulate our emotions or in our relationships. That's not a a healthy way to do it because we're squashing it down. Uh, I think in a larger house, they talk about there is no such thing as an unexpressed emotion. So if you feel that emotion internally and you don't express it and you squish it down, it's going to come out at some point, oftentimes sideways. This is even can be where maybe parents come home from a long day of work, all of this built-up frustration or anger or whatever, and then it comes out at their children or at their spouse, something like that, sideways in a friendship. Um, You know, the person who cuts you off on the... Or even in their physical body, yeah, it can actually express itself unhealthily and people can have sickness and all of those sorts of things. So when it comes to this point of self-regulation, this is why dealing with trauma is a really, really essential step in developing your self-regulation. So you may have uh, learnt about the impact of trauma. Uh, Essentially, a trauma response is where your brain releases a chemical response in a scenario without your cognitive, the cognitive part of your brain recognizing that. So this is where you get the fight or flight or fright or fawn or there's flee. There's a whole lot of them. Freeze. Um, a lot of F words. Um, yeah, it's probably some others, but we won't share them here. Um, but uh, 
so, uh, but in that in that state, so this is again, it, it's kind of how we're wired as well. Um, where where it's a it's a body response to danger, um, even you know in terms of blood rushes to your extremities. So you know adrenaline starts pumping. So if you need to run away or, or do those sorts of things, that so we need to fight in that situation. But when we have a trauma response, it's like our body's responding before our brain is. Uh, and there's a whole lot of really, really interesting stuff, even about how the heart responds first before the brain and trauma scenarios, all that sort of stuff, has to do with your amygdala and your hippocampus, so your, your memory bank of, uh, of traumatic events, uh, and then the outworking of that. So it's actually chemically, you're, you're not necessarily in control of what's happening in that situation. So this is where people have PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, they'll, they'll hear a noise. I was talking to someone just yesterday, and they, they talked, he'd been in a work injury um, where a, a branch had actually fallen. It was a tree lopper and fallen and landed on his head and done a whole lot of damage. But he's saying his, his daughters will jump off their bunk bed onto the Jarrah floor, and just the noise of that just he starts, you know, getting the sweats and anxiety and all of those sorts of things. So he's very aware, logically, rationally, it's my child jumping off the bed onto the floor, but his body is saying that's that's dangerous, something's happening. It's having the same response as what would have happened in that moment. So again, if we're having trauma responses, I think the modern language is called being triggered by something. Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge triggers, and I think it's really, really important that we take responsibility for our triggers. Um, so again, like if you've got an offendable heart, your offendability, your offendability is not someone else's responsibility. Uh, in the same way, when it comes to trigger triggers from trauma, it's actually not other people's job to manage you in that in that place. You can invite people into that journey. If you have if you have triggers, you can say, "Hey, I'm just really triggered by by loud bangs. I'm really triggered by these types of conversations, whatever." And you can invite your your friends, people that love you, into that space. Say, "Hey, yeah, we're willing to to journey with you and minimize that as you are on a healing journey. That's totally fine." Uh, but what we don't want to do is go around and saying everyone needs to stop doing everything because I might get triggered. Uh, that's emotional immaturity um, and it's a sign of a lack of self-regulation so what we need to do is say hey I'm triggered by these things I need to do a journey to get to the root of of where this trauma is and then get some healing from that and you can absolutely get healed uh, from from trauma there's a whole uh, conference teaching series by Sandra Selma Kirsten who was a um, trained Elijah House Prime Minister um, uh, it's called healing trauma um, but it gets into all the roots of that rewiring your brain uh, and there is lots of uh, secular um, kind of processes and things like that, uh, that that you can work through in that. So if, if it's something where you feel like, yeah, in certain scenarios, uh, maybe it's, it could even be something where if, if my boss ever, you know, gets upset, I just, I, sh- I shut down and I, and I run away and hide or, or I respond, you know, someone does this and I respond with this, you know, super aggressive because I need to fight them in that scenario. What What's being revealed is I, I have an inability to self-regulate because I'm having a trauma response in that, okay? So that's, it can get to that degree. And again, so we need to focus on, I need some healing from the trauma that I'm facing. Um, but outside of that, it can just be kind of learnt behavior where we've never actually been taught and given the skills to say, oh, I can actually respond differently. It might be simply just being like counting to 10 before I respond, taking a few big deep breaths, um, even when you were having trauma responses, uh, apparently, uh, like, even when the, people have the paper bag over their mouth and they breathe into the paper bag and it calms them down, apparently this is to do with increasing the carbon dioxide in your brain, which actually causes the, the, like, the focus in your brain to move from the, the trauma center to your, like, frontal lobe, whatever it is, um, which is then your more rational part of the brain uh, to actually calm you down because you're having a trauma response. Uh, not, it's not actually a real thing. There's nothing actually that you need to fear in this scenario, but your body is telling you to. And so there's, there are practical tips, but probably now is not the time for me to run through a whole lot of trauma coping mechanisms. Um, so it's a highly valuable skill. When we are impulsive in our emotional responses, essentially we are under the control of our emotions rather than us being in control of them. We're not exercising self-control. Our emotions can be so big that they become overwhelming and it's almost like, well, I have no control of the, over them and that's just the way it is. And again, maybe you grew up in a household where that was the norm, that was encouraged, that was supported. Um, and again, emotions are okay. It's good for us to have emotions, but they shouldn't become our master. So we're not going to run to the other end of the spectrum that says have no emotions, be, be completely 
kind of stoic and emotionless, that's also not necessarily healthy either. Um, cool? Self-regulation? All right. Uh, the next one is internal or intrinsic motivation. So as the opposite of external motivation, this means being driven to pursue goals for personal reasons rather than for some kind of reward. So essentially it's self-motivation. I'm not waiting around for an external force to, to make me do something about it, but I'm actually, I see, hey, there's something needs to change and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a plan in place. I'm going to seek some accountability. I'm going to make a plan that's actually going to see me grow and develop in this. That's in, in the personal space. Uh, it could be uh, if you're in a business scenario, it's kind of not waiting till, you know, till the crap hits the fan um, before you actually do something about it. Oh, I'll just wait till that's really a serious problem uh, um, and, and then not getting around to it. I'm actually going to put a plan in place because I see I don't need to be, I'm not going to respond only to external forces, but I've got an internal uh, motivation to, to change, to fix things, to, to work on things. So it's not responding simply to the demands of others, but being proactive in dealing with issues, with setting goals, with developing self and developing other people. So again, sometimes we might be uh, avoiding conflict because we have our own fear or concern around that. So we don't confront someone about their behavior until maybe it gets really, really, really bad or until it's starting to impact a whole lot of people or even then we still don't do it and we, and we actually, we're not, we're not caring for others by letting that person be domineering in, in how they're behaving. So as an example. Uh, number four is empathy. So it's essential for building and leading teams. Empathy is the ability to recognize and understand others' motivations and to put yourself in their shoes. So everyone understands empathy is kind of, in some ways, feeling what other people are feeling, not necessarily in what, like Elijah House talks about, burden bearing. You're not having a, an experience of their emotions, but you can understand, oh, wow, this happened. Yeah, I can understand how that would have had an impact on that person. And this is a, a really amazing way of connecting, of people feeling safe, creating a safe environment. Um, and again, you don't have to feel what they're feeling, but you have to recognize that people have feelings. And in this moment, they're feeling something. And you can say, hey, I appreciate that they're having feelings about this. Um, oftentimes, in leadership context, if we are assuming that everyone is going to feel things in the exact same way that we are, um, we're going to get in trouble um, because people don't. People might feel things significantly more than you. They might feel things significantly less. Uh, but empathy is about understanding where someone is in their context and kind of engaging with them at, at their level. Um, uh, this is in, in, hear me out, I'm prefacing, this is in no way a derogatory thing at all, but I have spent many, many years working with lots of women uh, in, in the church context, and I highly value and appreciate uh, the feminine expression of, of God, uh, and, but, I, but women tend to be, in general, more emotional, ex emotionally expressive than men, and, uh, and, I've been and I'm not a super emotionally expressive person. I feel emotions. I just don't tend to, ex I, I tend to be quite level and, and calm. I feel like that can be quite beneficial uh, in a leadership context because you're not thrown by things. I get upset about stuff. I get impacted, certainly impacted by things. Um, but my leadership style is not to um, be kind of swayed or to lead out of that place. Um, but, but in those sorts of environments, I, if I was to say, well, um, uh, a female colleague, well, why is it such a big deal? I don't really care. That doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me too much. And why is it such a big deal? It, then I'll, I can lack empathy in that and not actually acknowledge that regardless of whether I would be impacted in the same way, they're impacted in that way. So to empathy is say, hey, uh, that's not how I would feel, but I understand that you're feeling like that. It's like, uh, you know, I think emotional impact of things, uh, it's all uh, subjective. In the same way, like uh, someone who is Im impacted by a particular situation, um, whatever it might be, if we if we look at that and say, "Well, I don't get impacted by the same way, so therefore you shouldn't," uh, pain is relative to the individual. You might even look at someone and said, "Oh, this person grew up and." Um, you know, their, their dad worked away a lot and they didn't get to see their dad. And they got all this trauma and you're like, well, I didn't even have a dad and I'm okay. You know, so you shouldn't feel 
pain about your dad not being around too much. I didn't even have a dad, so you need to match your feelings with my feelings. The reality is maybe I've got a whole lot of shutdown areas because I'm not actually acknowledging the trauma, the, uh, you know, the neglect trauma of not having a dad and not having, you know. But um, if I'm just saying, no, you should feel like I feel in that scenario, that's not how it actually works in life. We need to acknowledge, hey, I'm, I'm hearing that you're feeling this way and I'm just acknowledging that, I'm empathising with that, I'm giving you space, I'm going to help you to kind of to meet your needs in that. So it helps people to feel seen, to feel known and to feel understood. Very, very important uh, skill set to have. So it's in, uh, in developing teams, it's also important to not allow the team to be dominated by others who struggle with emotional self-regulation. <laughs> so we don't want to say, oh, let's all just be empathetic, and then you've got a whole lot of people who don't emotionally self-regulate, which is part of our, you know, uh, point number two. Um, and then you've just got emotional chaos constantly, and everyone's emotion and everything's being dominated by o overly expressive emotions, a lack of self-regulations. You never get anything done. You never actually land anywhere because the whole point of your work environment or your ministry or whatever you're doing is all about people's emotions and feelings uh, rather than actually, no, we're here for, a, there's actually a job to be done here. And it's okay that there's actually a job to be done. Uh, there's a plan and a purpose. So. Is that cool? Yeah. So don't let the pendulum swing. And finally, social skills. This is the ability to manage relationships, build networks, and connect with people. Uh, so, oh, I've got my... <laughs> in order to develop teams and impact others positively, we need to be able to engage in healthy ways with others, understand what people need in relationships, and draw people in to work together. So a sign of emotional intelligence is having good social skills. Being able to have fun together, being able to interact, being able to relate socially. Again, not just being, uh, you know, only task-oriented and task-focused. Um, sometimes there are jobs that need to be done. Uh, but if people aren't feeling connected, they're not feeling like they're part of the team, again, they might participate for a season and then eventually they might kind of drift off or their workload might start to suffer because, again, if you're leading and you're a visionary, the vision that you have, nobody else has. They might capture a part of, of the vision. They might kind of see something of what you're talking about or what you're leading, but they're not going to carry it in the same way. There's a good chance that no one's going to be as passionate about what you're as passionate about, as passionate as you, uh, especially if you're, if you're kind of leading something, pioneering something you know, in an entrepreneurial business sense. Like if you're starting a business, your workers aren't going to care as much about your business as you do. They might care about the fact that they've got a job. Um, then again, if it's, it's, it's just, just task and it's just job, do, get the job done and work hard and slog it out, they'll do it for a paycheck, but they might not necessarily do it because they love it uh, or they believe in what's going on. So, All right. I'm just going to quickly run through um, some other definitions. This is uh, from... Uh, you can do emotional intelligence tests. I haven't found, a, looked up, you know, and done a whole bunch of them or anything, but they do exist out there. Uh, and they're often in the context of a, what's called a 360 review. Um, it should be, it's actually got, it's three-dimensional review, so it should be called a 3D review, just as I'm pondering. But anyway, it's a, it's a review where you, um, you do self-reflection on your emotional intelligence. Uh, this can also be a self-reflection on, you can do 360 reviews around leadership, um, your leadership skill set, whatever it might be. But essentially, you're, you're doing a self-reflection. You're looking at uh, someone who is in authority over you, someone who is your subordinate. This is in a work context, and then your peers around you. And they, so you, you would ask the questions of yourself, and then they would ask, being asked the questions about you. So you are going to get kind of this 360 multiple kind of directional review of how maybe if it's a performance review, uh, you can do the same with your emotional intelligence. Again, where there's something where it's like um, deciding on how, how self-aware you are, it's quite hard to determine your own self-awareness. Because you're only aware of how self-aware you are. You're only self-aware of how self-aware you are, like it's, it's still a, a self-thing. So you need other people to be speaking into that space. So, so these are good. But I just found these, um, these are kind of digging a bit deeper into uh, these contexts. So 
If we look at self-management, so these are some of the outcomes. So self-development, it sits under self-management. So a person who manages their own time, energy, and abilities for continuous personal growth and maximum performance. So in the area of self-development, an emotionally intelligent person does these things. Uh, under their adaptability and stress tolerance, they maintain balance and performance under pressure and stress. They cope with ambiguity and change in a constructive manner. So plans change, so they're like, cool, we can work with this out, we can figure this out, it's all good. I'm not really sure what the plan is, that's okay. We can, we can, we can make up a plan just now, we'll, we'll figure something out on the way. Uh, Self-control, they ma manages and controls emotions and behavior in the face of interpersonal conflict. Demonstrates patience, rarely overreacts or loses control. Engenders trust, have we, have we moved on? So they demonstrates and practices a high standard of personal and professional integrity, displays honesty and candor, creates trusting relationships with others. Under strategic problem solving, they analyze a situation, identifies alternative solutions, and develops specific actions, gathers and utilizes available information in order to understand and solve organizational issues and problems. And they're achievement-oriented. They accomplish tasks, projects, and assignments on time and with quality. I like this person. I want to get to know this guy. He sounds like a good guy or girl. Are we starting to see some things that's like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good at finishing things on time. I'm not, yeah. These examples are good because it's not just saying, hey, this is what it looks like if you have happiness or if you have anger it's like no your emotional intelligence produces all of this in your workplace and again i think this applies to leadership it applies to, it applies to all of your relationships as well um so under relationship management so we've got self-management now relationship management uh building strategic relationships so initiates and cultivates strategic internal and external networking relationships that foster both individual and organizational goals, builds and maintains effective and collaborative relationships with diverse internal and external stakeholders. So I say this is in a business context, you apply this in, even in a personal, I talk about my relationships with people, so I'm, I'm being mentored with people, I'm mentoring other people, I'm we talk about discipleship, like I'm, I've got this broad array of kind of influences, I listen to different podcasts, like I'm, I'm taking that responsibility to build this relational network. Uh, conflict management negotiates and effectively resolves interpersonal differences with others, doesn't avoid Conflict doesn't ignore conflict, but actually engages and enters in to resolve issues. Uh, leadership or influence, so utilizes appropriate interpersonal styles and approaches in facilitating a group towards task achievement. Interpersonal sensitivity and empathy, where are we? Oops. Oh, did I miss a slide? Oh, no. Oh, well. That's all good. Um, yep, I've missed a slide. Apologies. Uh, so interpersonal sensitivity and empathy. So they take actions that demonstrate consideration for the feelings and needs of others. Um, under team and interpersonal support, they assist, motivates, encourages, and supports others who depend on each other to accomplish tasks, task projects, and assignments. So they build team. Under collaboration, establishes and develops cooperative, supportive, and collaborative working relationships with others. And then under communication, written communication, expresses thoughts and ideas in a clear and concise manner. Two-way feedback, solicits input and keeps others informed with necessary information in a timely manager, manner, so or invites input. So they want feedback from people. They're not like, and I'm, I'm not interested. It's like, no, no, give, can you give me your feedback? Can you tell me, can you tell me what's good, what's, what needs work? Um, under oral communication, they convey oral thoughts and ideas in a clear and concise manner. Oral presentation presents individual and organizational viewpoints to groups in a clear and persuasive manner. And listening, listens attentively and seeks to understand the verbal communication 
of others. There's a whole lot there. <laughs> but to me, you, you notice those sorts of people when you're working with them. You notice the difference in a work environment and leadership environment when you're surrounded by people who carry these qualities and express them. Um, for us, I think as, as, a, as a church leadership team and what we've tried to do even in our church culture, we've spent many, many, many years developing healthy relationships and, and putting a focus on that because Christ is reflected through relationship. He even says, you know, people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. There is something in our expression between one another that is a reflection of Christ that people would look and say, oh, you belong to Jesus because of the way that you love one another. Not when you're in your, in your prayer closet. God sees how you love him in the prayer closet. <laughs> but people see how you love him in how you love one another. That is an expression. So having healthy relational dynamics and understanding these things is actually, it's, a, it's an apologetic of the gospel. It's a way that we actually express the gospel to the world. So to me, hugely important. And I think, unfortunately, lacking in a lot of Christian and church environments. We want, to, we want to achieve particular things, um, but we're not necessarily concerned about the impact on people in the wake. So people are burnt out, people are exhausted, they're tired, doing all of this good church activity, but they're not necessarily cared for and nurtured in that process. They're not necessarily developed individually. Um, they're used and sometimes abused and then left kind of on the, on the side of the road because, oh, there's, there's new, more passionate people that are coming in and, and they're going to do the job now. Like, it's, it's unfortunately, it's quite toxic. Um, and that's in, in church culture. Uh, and so it's, which is devastating. But we want to, we're going to change that. Amen? All right. So when it comes to emotional intelligence, there is obviously this inherent kind of difference, um, kind of generically between men and women, you would say. So uh, women tend to have a more developed emotional intelligence or EQ than men. Um, I'm sure there's lots of reasons for that. I think one of the big ones is the cultural freedom that women have to express their emotions and also that they're encouraged or allowed as children to express their emotions outwardly. So you get children growing up, it's kind of, it's, it's, maybe it's more culturally acceptable for a girl to, to have emotions, to cry, to get upset, you know, oh, they've scraped their knee, they've got a booby, oh, come here, comfort, you know, thing, boy does, boy does that, oh, come on, mate, toughen up, you know, because you, you don't want to, you know, grow up and being a wuss or being soft or, you know, we, we, we try and pump masculinity into boys and femininity into girls, but we've, we, we've, done that too much where we haven't actually allowed boys to, to feel confident to express their emotion we've shut that down it's like no you're allowed certain emotions you're allowed to be angry you're allowed to be sad and that's about it um, so as a boy like that's what's culturally acceptable and again we've got generational impact you know uh, post-war families there's a whole lot of cultural things that have gone on that have actually shut down men emotionally so then that has a generational kind of ongoing impact mum tends to be the one who's the nurturer you know dad's just out there working you know um, and you know making money providing for the for the household in that way and then mum's at home doing kind of all the nurturing stuff I do see a, a cultural change where Men are starting to become more present uh, in, in the raising of families and all of that sort of stuff. So there's good things happening. But we've got, it's, it's a generational cycle that's been kind of going on. So boys are encouraged to toughen up. Girls are encouraged to talk it out. Um, I do think that men and women have the same capacity to understand emotions, even if they express it differently. So again, you might find in general men aren't as emotionally expressive. doesn't mean that they have to be less emotionally intelligent. The expression of emotion isn't the same of understanding emotion. You can understand emotion and not be super expressive. I, I, I think of myself, I, hopefully I'm self-aware enough that I would consider that I have quite high emotional intelligence because I've learned that from other people, not because I'm a highly emotional person. I don't know if people, I mean... It's probably on the sporting field is the only time you'll see like real emotion come out, um, you know, of me because I'm just, I don't know why, maybe it's just being around fellas and it's, it's kind of accepted to, you can be a bit aggressive and it stays within the game and then game's over and you're, you're good and, you know, I've had so many games like indoor soccer and even when I was playing footy, it's just like you're, you're right in there wanting to kill each other 
then someone goes, oh, yeah, you know, hug and you know, high five, good game, and it's all it's all forgotten about. So don't know what that's about. <laughs> um, but uh, but but I've learned, and for me, being around working with with closely with women has allowed me to grow in my emotional intelligence. But I haven't become a more emotional person per se. But I've learned, oh wow, this is how different people are wired. This is how different people express themselves. And you start to grow and learn, and then you start to see the value in understanding and having empathy for people in where they're at. And it helps people to feel safe. It helps people to I, I can be myself here. Um, oftentimes, we can have leadership. Or even in you know in in that's whether it's in workplace in church where emotions to express your emotion to express your struggles is an unsafe environment, so it's not safe to do that. If I express that I'm struggling, I'm going to get demoted. I'm going to get you know squashed down, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I remember even when we when we planted uh, Paradox Church. Part of there used to be, uh, there was a culture probably from where I'd come from of kind of mocking uh, men expressing themselves emotionally. And, uh, and, you know, it would just be derogatory kind of slurs that would be given. Oh, you know, it's not being this. Oh, you're being this or whatever. And I said, and I actually stopped it. And I said, I just don't want, you know, because we had lots of young adults. I was like, guys, we're, we're actually not going to do that anymore here in this culture. Um, because... I know it's kind of that joking, mocking, you kind of are just making fun of each other, just stirring each other up. But what you're actually doing is shutting down someone's emotions, you know. Someone has a little kind of, you know, something small and you make a joke about it, it's not a big deal. Someone's actually genuinely sharing their heart and then people are laughing and making fun of it. It's like, well, I'm never going to do that again. So you actually need to create safe spaces where people can be emotionally vulnerable and they're not going to be reprimanded for it uh, and they're not going to be laughed at, they're not going to be kind of squashed down, I, you know, suck it up and move on, you know. Um, but actually creating a safe space where people can be emotionally vulnerable. So again, men can be underdeveloped in their expression. Uh, and again, sometimes on the other side, you can have people who are overly emotional. Uh, and everything is about their emotions, and their emotions dominate. So again, that's not necessarily, you don't want to swing the other way, where everything becomes all about how we're we feeling. Because um, sometimes you just got to do stuff that doesn't feel good. You know, we've, again, there's a bit of that cultural kind of norm, where I just don't feel like doing it, so I don't care. Uh, it needs to be done. Like sometimes when I say to my kids, I, I'll nurture them in times, but say, hey, um, can, you, can you do this? Oh, I just don't feel like it. So I, it's cool, I don't feel like it either. I don't feel like doing a whole lot of stuff that benefits you and doesn't benefit me. And I do it because there's also a sense of duty and a sense of obligation and a sense of this stuff just needs to get done. It's not all about our emotions. Now, if my kid's really, really struggling, they're going through something, I'm going to enter in there and, and, and be present with them. But again, we don't want to come to this place where everything becomes about our emotions or kind of our overexpression of it. So again, uh, one thing to keep in mind, emotional intelligence can be inhibited by neurological limitations. So um, neurological limitations, something like autism, can actually inhibit someone's ability to grow in their emotional intelligence because they just don't, the way that the brain is wired is just different, okay? So oftentimes, even uh, children growing up, oftentimes autism starts to get exposed um, around when kids become, start to become, well, it's probably like year, like seven so seven years of age and getting older, kids at a younger age, they relate generally around play, around kind of um, similar interests and doing all of that sort of stuff. But when kids start to reach an age where they start to form bonds relationally, oftentimes that's where autism starts to be revealed in kids because they actually don't know how to connect um, empathetically. They don't know how to kind of read emotions and do all of those sorts of things, just don't have those same cues. So then they learn kind of mimetic stuff where they will, I'll, I'll mime what you're doing and I'll kind of figure out. And they learn how to behave in social environments, but there's not necessarily an innate kind of expression of that. So again, keeping that in mind, you've got people who maybe have a neurological limitation in that. Um, but in general, we can all grow and develop our emotional maturity. So whatever level you're at today, there are, there are ways that you can actually grow and develop in that, but we've got to kind of pay attention to it in the first place. Cool? Even if it's not natural to us. Uh, you don't have to be an emotional person to be emotionally intelligent. Um, in the same way, you don't have to become a nerd to be intellectually intelligent. Like you don't have to, you know, pull your pants up high and put on thick glasses and become something. It's like because you're learning new things. Like 
well, in the same way, when it comes to emotional intelligence, you don't have to become this like blubbering mess all the time. I'm just so emotionally intelligent all the time now. I don't know what to do. It's like, no, that would be emotional immaturity. Like it's, that's, you're going the other, other direction. So it's okay. Uh, you don't have to become a wuss. And if you were to be called that because you're emotional, then that's also emotional immaturity on the other person's end. So there you go. See? Whoa. I love, I know for me, when I see men cry, it makes me cry. That's the worst for me. Like, that's my silver bullet. I can see women cry. Anyway, again, I've probably just built up a, a, a layer of resistance over the years. That's it. I don't have enough tears in my body. Um, <laughs> but there's a something of just seeing, you know, seeing, seeing fathers cry, seeing men cry, that, oh, it gets me every time. So, all right. So how does having emotional intelligence help us to bring the kingdom of God to the world? You can say, this is great, Brad, for leadership, leadership principles. I'm stuck on an old slide. Uh, There we go. Um, How how does this actually help to bring the kingdom? Well, for starters, we become proactive people rather than reactive people. We seek to develop good and not just to avoid bad. This is something, again, where I've... um, The gospel that we've preached has been primarily about get out of hell, one day go to heaven, um, deal with all of your sin so you're no longer bad in God's eyes. But it's kind of oftentimes being get out of the bad pasture in order to sit on the fence where Christ says, pursue my kingdom and righteousness. That's actually run into that that sphere of righteousness. So rather than being a people that are kind of just, I'll, I'll react to things when, when everything around me starts to crumble, then I'll do something about it. Now, I'm actually going to be a proactive person and make change, pursue good, pursue good in others, pursue change and develop in, in myself. Um, and this is, again, where discipleship comes in. So we've become a better disciple and a better disciple maker as we grow in emotional intelligence because we're actually pursuing, hey, there's, there's more for you. Um, there's, there's, there's a greater change and transformation that can happen in you. So that's one point. Um, we can bring peace and resolve chaos. So again, when I'm not, I'm not reacting to everything, I'm able to self-regulate my emotions. It means in a chaotic environment, I can come in and I can bring peace. I can become a peacemaker, which is what we're called to do. We're not drawn into the chaos. We're not drawn into the swirl. We actually come in and we represent the kingdom of God. We bring the shalom of God into a chaotic environment. So you can become that person who's like, oh, wow, they become like a, a rock in this kind of difficult time. You become that person that people can kind of lean on and confide in because you're not shaken and, and disturbed by what's going on. Amen? All right, we can help to bring healing and transformation to people. Uh, so the heart, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You've heard that saying. Uh, I think it is hugely important that we understand the, the role of heart transformation and development. But again, as we grow in our emotional intelligence, we're actually able to understand our internal world more. What often manifests in our behavior, the fruit of our lives is connected to a root system. I don't know from a larger house stuff. Um, in the same way, our emotions, the fruit of our emotions are usually connected to a root system. And sometimes they can be quite deep. We just assume, well, I'm angry because this person made me angry. Um, one plus one equals two. Um, but there's actually a much deeper root system there that would say, well, why did that person make me angry? And I can kind of delve into that. But we can actually, the more we understand ourselves, the more we begin to understand others, the more that we grow in our empathy, the more that we can actually deeply relationally engage with people. And we can kind of have those sorts of conversations that, are, that go deeper than surface level. And we actually get to draw those things out. I've had conversations with people and, it's, and, and they've said back to me, it's like almost like I figured out a way to get behind the door. Um, and that's a skill that we can learn to get behind the door of people's hearts. I'm not, and not in like a tricky kind of manipulative way, but you naturally do that because you're like, hey, I'm intrigued by what's behind what you're saying. I'm intrigued by, that, by what's behind what you're feeling or what's going on in your life. I want to delve deeper in. And the more I grow in self-awareness, the more I grow in awareness of other people. Another one is that we get to shape culture. Culture is the overflow of values and beliefs that manifest in behaviors. So the culture in a work environment is the overflow of values and beliefs, and and it manifests itself in behaviors. 
okay? So we'll have values and beliefs when they're, when they're manifested in our behavior and actually creates a culture. So getting below the surface allows change at a deeper level and a more significant level. So again, that ability to understand emotional intelligence means I can come in and I can read a room and I can sense what's going on. I can see, okay, what are the values that are happening here? What are the belief systems that are going on? Understanding that the behavior in this place, maybe the behavior is not really healthy, but there's actually a culture that's going on under, underneath that. There's a whole system that's kind of working. And the more that I get to know people, interact with people, build confidence, be able to have those deeper conversations, I can start to get behind, okay, what's actually going on? Why is this person behaving in this particular way? way? Why is the culture being shaped in this particular way? Well, it's usually internal heart motivations that are driving that sort of stuff. So a leader, again, can have skills in particular ways. They've learned how to lead, but then they're, they're manifesting a culture that's like, ah, oh, it's just not, it's just a little bit off. And I'll go, and I know what, because I can see, and maybe in conversation, I'm hearing about what's happening in their home life, but that's happening because I'm, I'm creating deep connection there. Could be, you know, with a staff member or someone who you're leading, whoever it might be, the, the more we get below the surface at that heart level, the more we're able to have those conversations and actually then to shape things positively to bring about change. We can create a safe space for people to, uh, to change as well. So it enables deeper relational connection, which then allows greater opportunity to share about deeper things. So again, you, when you take your relationships beyond surface level to the deeper things of the heart, that's where the faith conversation generally can start to be stirred up. So we can, we can introduce Jesus in that space because it's actually a genuine deep conversation. You're not talking about the weather or talking about footy, whatever it is, but even it's a skill to kind of bring conversations down into that place. God cares about people and we want to build big people. In order to help others to mature in Christ and grow in favor with others, we need to learn who people are and not just focus on what they do. So again, the more that we grow in emotional intelligence, the more we have that ability to not be impacted by other people's behavior, being able to empathize and enter in, then we can help to bring transformation and change. I've seen too many churches that are filled with people doing lots of good things, that aren't necessary, but they're not necessarily reflecting Christ. They hide their bad character behind good behaviors. It just happens too often. It's on the outside, oh, lots of great stuff, lots of stuff happening. You get behind the other side and there's, and there's toxic, there's control, there's lots of unhealthy leadership stuff. People are scared. So people are working really, really hard. And it might be performance-driven, it might be because out of fear, it might be because of some sort of parental wounding, whatever it might be. And then these good things are being built upon broken people. And we don't want that. Amen? All right. Almost done. So what can we do to help to, to develop our emotional intelligence? Again, these are just things that I think of. You might have other, other ways of doing it as well. Um, First one is invite feedback regularly from others. <sighs> Sounds scary? Yeah, it is. That's okay. This can be scary and vulnerable, but it's the only way to have our blind spots removed. Now, again, I'm not necessarily saying put out a survey and ask anyone, but people that are trusted, people that carry wisdom, people that aren't, don't have their own agenda to, to manipulate you or something like that, trustworthy people that, that are around you, Invite their feedback about you, about your emotional intelligence, about your behavior in certain scenarios, about your, your leadership or your, and your style, whatever it might be, just inviting that feedback from trusted people. Again, it's the only way to break out of, to, to develop greater self-awareness is to invite the awareness of others. Amen? Sound scary? Yes. <clears throat> uh, practice self-reflection. So things like journaling, spending time in solitude are helpful spiritual disciplines to aid self-reflection. So again, getting to the end of the day and just spending some time pondering, how was I today? Like, how did I impact? Oh man, that thing happened and I, and I responded in this way. I wonder why that was. And start to kind of have some time where you're self-reflecting. Again, solitude is good. Solitude can be really noisy sometimes, um, but it's good to get ourselves in a place where we can actually just ponder and, and be in our own thoughts with God and kind of go on that journey. The next one is get beneath your emotions. 
it's important that as we grow in emotional maturity and intelligence, we're getting beneath the surface emotions. Um, I, I know I've shared, I'll, I'll share this story for those who haven't heard it before, but uh, it's my road rage story. I say it's my road rage story like there's only been one, uh, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. But, uh, but it was a time I was, I was, dry, I was rushing to get home and uh, there was roadworks on the road. Uh, the light going forward was red. The turning lane was green. There was roadworks on the left-hand side of the road. There was two cars in front of me. And that car that was there, um, they were in a little car, not a semi-trailer, although they thought they were. They weren't, I'm sure. I saw with my own eyes. So there was plenty of room that they could have turned left and gone with their green light, and then we could all carry through that, that ginormous gap that was there left for them. Um, but they, they didn't tend to want to do that. Uh, I wasn't empathizing with them. Uh, I was getting cross at them, and so I beeped my horn. And uh, there was a road worker standing kind of near the front of my car. And he turned around and said, Oi, stop that. And he told me off. So I didn't respond at the time. I practice emotional self-regulation. Um, and, uh, and then light to go forward, goes green, drive off around the corner. So then I'm, I'm just replaying the scenario in my mind, as we do. And, uh, and I'm thinking about it. And I was like, oh, you know, what, you know what I should have done? I should just like slammed my hand on the horn. He was standing near the front, just went, just looked straight ahead, just, and just, you know, that would have been, you know, hurt his ears or something like that. And, you know, I'm like, oh, you're being silly. 30 seconds later, um, I re realized, like, my brain's playing this. I'm not even, I'm not necessarily trying to think about, my brain's playing back. What if I had, like, a baseball bat or something in the boot of the car, you know? And I could just get it out and then just, you know, like, you know, and I'm like, this is so silly. Whatever, just stop thinking about it and uh and the next minute i'm thinking you know 30 seconds later i'm like what if i had a gun and i just have it you know like down in the front just and i just lift up my shirt i said did you say something you know like clint eastwood style you talking to me you know or you know like it's you know and, and, I'm, I'm, and i'm catching myself thinking like i've gone from from beeping my horn to like homicidal maniac in my in this fantasy that's playing out and i catch myself too i'm like what is going on here what is happening? And then I realized this really impacted me. And I, so I, but I stopped and said, what, what was going on? It's like, I was embarrassed. That guy, he embarrassed me. And the reality is he was right. I was being impatient. I was being rude. There was no need for me to beat my horn. It, was, it might've taken an extra minute. I'm sure it's not gonna, it wasn't the end of, of my world. But I was like, man, I was embarrassed in that scenario because I was caught out for my bad behavior. And I was like, and then I, but then I asked again, so why was I, why did it embarrass me? And so I think it made me in, feel insecure and insignificant in that moment. Because I went from feeling like, hey, I'm important. My time's really important. You're in my way. Get out of my way right now because I'm a big, important person. And all of a sudden, I go from being big, important person with such, you know, my time is so valuable and uh, I should have a motorcade, you know, surrounding me, really. That's how important I am in this moment. To them being like, I'm, I'm insignificant. I just got shut down by this dude and I'm, and I'm feeling really insecure. So we go from the emotion on the outside, because I could have played that fantasy through a million times and, uh, you know, thought of a hundred different ways that this guy could have died. You know, it's like it's, it's, it, I could have kept going that and eventually I would have kind of come to this place of this kind of cathartic release. Like, I, I feel better now. He's dead. I've moved on. Um, <laughs> but I didn't. I caught myself. And then I was able to actually do this process. What's the emotion going on there? And then what was beneath that emotion? What was beneath that emotion? And that's really just a, a, a time of self-reflection and asking myself questions rather than reliving this kind of fanciful way of, uh, you know, of being, getting back and in somehow into the power position and dominating in the scenario going, actually, how was I actually feeling in that, in that space? And yeah, this is actually how I felt. And then I get to do that journey with God. And I get to do that process or maybe invite someone else into that process. But if we don't do that journey, then we, we stay living at the surface. And it's just, well, I'm angry because you made me angry. Or I'm this because you made me this. Or I'm that, you know. We say it to our kids. You know, we've taught our kids that no one can make you angry. Um, and it works when we say it to them. No, your brother didn't make you angry. You chose to be angry in response to their behavior. And so, and then it backfires when you use that language. I'm like, well, you made me angry. I didn't make you angry, Dad. You chose to respond. You 
Now you make me really angry. No, a, um, <laughs> but it's true. You know, we have to be, if we're not in, in, if we're not being responsible with our responses, we're lacking in response ability. Someone else is taking over there and I'm responding. I have a response inability is actually the problem. So asking those, uh, those questions, interviewing our hearts. This is a great one. We do it in prayer ministry sessions, but oftentimes people, then they can get caught up in, the, in their thinking and they're just processing there. And we, I encourage someone, put your hand on your heart and just ask your heart, heart, what, are you, what were you feeling in that moment? Or even in the time, okay, heart, what are you feeling right now? And usually it's the first thing that comes to mind because your heart is just psh, speaks it out and you catch it go, Oh, wow, that's actually what's going on. And it could be, it could be a, a deep root issue. Oftentimes it is in prayer ministry. It could be a, a trauma-related thing. But sometimes actually just like, I can be honest with myself. I don't need to justify or do it. And I can just say, what's my heart actually feeling? I just, Man, my heart's feeling sad right now. Or my heart's feeling anxious right now. There's, there's actually a, an emotion that's going on. It's processing through my limited brain in terms of my, my limited ability to understand my heart sometimes, or my limited vocabulary to actually express emotions. And that's something that um, we've got, Kylie's got a whole lot of copies of it. It's called the emotion wheel. The emotions wheel, I don't know if it's called the emotions wheel. It is now. I didn't make this up. So this is where we look I've got the, yeah, the pictures up there. So that kind of middle circle. Now, you might have, you might have far less emotions than that. You might have uh, happy, sad, angry. You might, have, you, might, you might have three emotions, okay? That's okay. Um, these are just kind of one, two, three, seven kind of common ones. So, and this is helpful to give greater language to what you're feeling, because I'm, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm a bit sad. Um, we, we, in our um, team meetings, we used to always go, how, how's everyone going? We banned the word good, because um, good is just the kind of cover all for, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I remember one time, this is at my old church, and uh, it was the senior pastor's wife. I was in the um, staff room making a coffee or something, and she comes in, and she's like, oh, hi, Brad, how are you going? I was like, I'm peaceful yet disturbed. I might have been 25 by the time I said, she's like, oh, and she just walked away. <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah, it's, it was an honest answer. That's how I'm feeling, but that's not what she was wanting from me. Good, thanks, how are you? Um, so, yeah. So, as we look at that, so if, if the thing is, I'm feeling angry right now, well, what, what's beneath that anger? And so, well, actually, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm angry because I feel humiliated. Okay, well, and what's then behind that? It's like, well, and because that person, I felt disrespected by that person. That's actually what's going on. I'm angry, but actually the feeling underneath that anger is humiliation. And the reason why I'm feeling humiliated is because I actually felt disrespected. But all of a sudden, when you start to language it like that, it takes it away from the surface level. It takes it away even sometimes from the scenario. It could be, well, because this always happens to me. People always ignore me. So I'm angry. Why angry? Because no one's listening to me. Well, well, sorry, in this scenario, we're just, everyone was having a, having a go. And sorry if you felt like you got cut off. You know, we're all just passionate, excited, and we're just all jumping in and jumping in. And, and this person's sitting there going, no one's listening to me. No one's giving space for me. And I don't get, so they start responding angry. You guys are just all talking over me and no one's giving me space to talk. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on there? What's the, what's the emotion underneath that? Well, because I don't feel heard. So I said, okay, what's, what's, well, I, well, I never feel heard. I don't feel like anyone ever listens to me. And again, cool. And then potentially <laughs> you would go down to the root. It's like, yeah, like being a kid, like just no one listened to me. I'd always, you know, it was, they were always too, my parents were always too busy to spend, to, to, to sit down and listen when I was going through hard times. Cool. Now you've got a, a heart journey, prayer ministry route that you can get to. But you see how in learning that sort of stuff, you start to see interactions with people in, in any sort of team environment, or it could be, anyway, it could be a, a, a customer who comes into a store, or you're at the checkout with the, with the grocery person. You, you're kind of reading body language. You're reading facial expression. You're able to kind of get below the surface because most people aren't prepared for deep conversation because most people live in unsafe, emotionally unsafe and shallow environments. 
like that just is the reality, where it's not safe to actually be real. Well, if I'm real about that, I'm struggling at home, I might, might lose my job. Because I might start to say, oh, yeah, they're, they're distracted from their, from their work, so we need to find someone else. Or I might get demoted, or I might not get that promotion. Whatever it might be, people might ridicule me. You know, if I'm a guy and I'm in a, in a trade environment, I start sharing, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, really struggling with this, and I laugh at you and mock you and ridicule you, and then you become, you become that guy in the workplace, whatever it is. A lot of places aren't safe for people. But I think for us, we can be people that create safe spaces for people to be able to share. And again, it builds trust, it builds connection, it creates opportunity to bring about positive change for them. And again, not just that, you might help them just in their emotional journey, that becomes a seed of the gospel, and you never even talk about Jesus, but you just enter into their places. Jesus did that, like he, he cared about people's spaces, he cared about their relationship, like he genuinely loved people. And we've got all of these records of Jesus' conversation, and yet there would have been thousands upon thousands more. He empathized, he engaged, he connected with people, and we get to do the same. But the more that we grow in our emotional intelligence, the more of that ability we have. Amen? All right, there's so much more that we could talk about, but, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I did have something else to say. Uh, well, no, it was the last thing is that we also have SQ, which is good which is spiritual, we have a spiritual quotient. Um, so understanding as well, we have this ability to engage emotionally. We also have uh, another dimension. We have spiritual intelligence. So we have the ability to discern the hearts and intentions of others and the spiritual influences that are in place. So Jesus, it talks about Jesus, he discerned their hearts. It's almost like he could hear what was going on inside of them, inside of people. And we have that ability with the Holy Spirit as well. So we've got like not just as we grow in emotional intelligence, but then we have this superpower of the Holy Spirit <laughs> that we can discern people's hearts. And again, not that's often been put in that place of judgment. Oh, I need to know what's really going on in their hearts. Not from a place of judgment, but from a place of acknowledgement and being able to enter in. It's like, oh, I feel like there's just a sense more going on in your hearts. For me, this is how I, I'm not as spiritually sensitive. I feel like it's a spiritual intelligence of the heart. Like I could just feel... I just know there's, some, uh, there's a deeper motivation. I can just sense fear. Not saying anything. I just pick up heart-related kind of stuff. That's how I discern. I discern the hearts of people. Um, but it's something that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. So we have Holy Spirit to be able to actually help us in that process as well, which is amazing and awesome. Cool. Lots of content thrown at you. Pshh.